So, Albert. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty well. That's good. That's good. (laughs) Well, we're going to start off. My goal in the future is to have an entire episode where we don't mention Rob Liefeld. But uh, we're going to go this ahead and... This is not that episode. <laughs> this is not that episode. We're going to go ahead and start off. We said last week that we were going to look more into the Rob Liefeld Youngblood situation where the guy that was responsible for the movie Cowboys and Aliens being made has somehow wiggled his way in on the rights to Youngblood. And in all honesty, I haven't found anything more that we could add to it this week than you initially said last week. But... I'm going to keep looking because I'm I'm truly interested in finding out how this happened, especially with the value of comic book movies and comic book properties now. D- did you have anything to add to that? The guy that purchased it yeah. seems to be going around on, on like Twitter and social media and asking creators to work with him, and he would pay them way, well more than what their normal pay rate is on, ind- on the independent scene or, or match it or something. Yeah. But all, all he seemed to have accomplished is, is asking it in a very poor fashion and, and making people mad because it's just a simple, almost like a copy and paste thing he's posting on people's stuff, but he's not paying attention to where he's posting it. One of the guys was mentioned in a friend of his or something like that had passed away in a tweet, Uh-oh. and that's where he placed it. He put it in a reply of that. Oh, dear Lord. And the guy was just like, I'm not working for you. Don't you ever try to contact me again? So the guy that's managing to um, wedge his way into this situation on Rob Liefeld's property is seems like a real winner here. When we come up with more on this situation, we will talk about it in future episodes yeah. of Kingdom Cast. But we just didn't have, other than what Albert just said, I just really couldn't find anything more to add other than what we said this week and what Albert just said. But so long as we're on the subject of Rob Liefeld, Rob seemed to put out a few tweets this last week or this past week. And one of our listeners, Mike, brought this to our attention. And I'm not going to say Mike's last name. We'll call him Mike B. Basically, Rob just suddenly seemed to be all about pushing similar novels and stories that had the same type of format that Hickman uses for Maura McTaggart in the Powers of X and House of X books where every time she dies at the end of her life, she goes back and relives her life and changes events in her lifetime. He pointed out what got pointed out and became a little bit of a brouhaha between Hickman and the author of an award-winning book called The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August. Arthur Clare North of that book and Hickman kind of had an exchange, but it was a very formal, very polite, very nice exchange where they ended up endorsing each other's work because this is a trope. This is a story format that's been used countless times. There's like Groundhog's Day. There's more than Star Trek episodes that are like this. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's probably even been used in X-Men comics for at some point. Yeah. Live, Die, Live is another book. It's just a situation that's repeated itself in fiction over and over again. I even believe that the origin to this or the earliest dated use of this situation comes from a form of Egyptian mythology. Yeah. I'm not as up on Egyptian mythology as I am Roman and Greek mythology. And I'll do a little more research in it. If I can find it, I'll note it, but it ended very well, or the exchange ended very well between Hickman and uh, Miss Claire North. They basically endorsed each other's work. 
and that just kind of seemed from one angle, Rob Liefeld doing that, that just kind of seemed like a little bit of a gruff response, possibly to Major X being shelved in favor of House of X and Powers of X. I don't necessarily think I would take it that personally if they shelved an X book that I was on for Hickman, because this is a major undertaking, rebooting yeah. the entire X-Men line. Yeah. I think this is a little bit of much ado about nothing, just kind of trying to distract Hickman from the goal at hand. But I, I believe Hickman's not going to be that easily distracted. Yeah. So a little bit of housekeeping notes. I was wrong about Murka and Dolfo's unnatural comic book. It actually came to an end this week with issue number 12. But at the end of the book, she strongly suggests that it's probably coming back in some form. I thought it was going to be an ongoing because the cells were strong on it. And I don't doubt we'll see it back uh, or see the characters back or reused or you've not seen the last of Murka and Dolfo. I can tell you that her design style, her art is just out of this world. I have said that before. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit of, yeah, just movie gossip. Have you heard anything about a possibility for a Moon Knight movie for Marvel Studios? I know I keep saying Conan is coming, and I, I would put every last dollar I had on that if Vegas were running odds on it. I'm I'm saying it, Conan, Marvel Studios, the movie is coming. Yeah. But uh, have you heard anything about a Moon Knight situation? It seems to be getting tossed around some. The rumor I'm hearing is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Andrew Garfield are are possibly in consideration for this. Who would you prefer to see out of that? Probably Levitt. Yeah, I think so, too. It's not that Andrew Garfield is not a strong actor. He is. But I think Levitt would have a better take given his performance in Looper and a few other movies I've seen him in. I think Levitt could handle that schizophrenic character angle a little bit better than Garfield could. But either way, it's a Moon Knight movie, if the rumors we're hearing is true. Aside from that, I'm hearing also that there's a possibility of, get this, Fin Fang Foom and Shang-Chi. That'd be pretty cool. I'd like to see them do more of monster stuff with the Marvel movies. I'd be interested in seeing how they incorporated him in. I mean, Fin Fang Foom is an alien navigator that got yeah. stranded on Earth, isn't he? He was an Iron Man adversary, but of course, so was Mandarin and the Ten Rings situation, which had shown up in the previous three Iron Man movies. I really do like the concept that they're going to bring the Mandarin and Ten Rings into the Shang-Chi movie. And while they're at it, yeah, sure, throw the dragon in, yeah. the alien dragon, yeah, and put the purple underwear on him, too. Yeah. <laughs> And then just a little bit of something interesting here, Supergirl 33 and Superman 14. I believe both were supposed to come out this week. Some comic shops did get them, but DC Comics has said destroy them. And the official reasoning for that, as I understand it, is because of the year the villain logos on them are not supposed to be on them. But it turns out there's a lot of websites and threads on the internet that are saying the actual reasoning for this is because Lightning Lad has a different design to him that apparently makes him out to be a different race. And the ads showing the different designs to him are showing up in the digital e-comics that you can buy on your iPad or your computer and look at. And it's a completely different design for Lightning Lad has previously advertised. Albert, I don't care if Lightning Lad is race swapped or not. My main problem with this is that apparently Supergirl 33 is bringing 30 to 50 bucks on eBay simply because DC ordered it to be destroyed and comic shops and speculators have gotten their hands on it. You know, at most, at most, 10% of them will be destroyed at most. 
you were we used to handle this at Kingdom when All Star Batman came out with the with the cuss words that were supposed to be covered up but weren't covered up on it. We did. We we destroyed them. Nobody got them. We did as told. Typically, we would do this. That's because I'm a poor business person. <laughs> yeah, I did not immediately grope after every dollar that came down the pipe. I think Supergirl 33 selling for this much money because of those ads in back being either correct or incorrect or for whatever reason that DC comic books are saying. I think this hurts the overall industry. It's not definitely not bringing new people into it. This just seems like a quick way to make fast. Smacks of the death of Superman, the bag copies. When yeah. you know you remember back then the stories of them selling this, people selling this book for seventy five dollars the day after it came out. Here we are, twenty years later, and we were barely getting twelve for it during Kingdom's entire sixteen year lifespan. This just diminishes comic books even more and diminishes the collector's market. And it, it's not a legit reason for a comic book to be going for that much. It just overall hurts it. And along those same lines, we've got a book we're going to talk about later on that is called Once and Future. You read that, didn't you? Yeah, thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, it is great. And it comes out from, of all places, Boom Comics. The problem is it's really good, and it was apparently really underordered, and just right out of the gate started bringing 25 to 30 bucks on eBay for the standard copy of issue number one. The shame of this is... It's a really good comic. This is the type of comic that could bring people into comic books and yeah. increase the base. And they're not going to be able to get their hands on it this week because speculators are running in and grabbing it up and running home to put it on eBay to make a quick buck. And that just. And if you didn't get issue one, why would you bother with issue two? Yeah. That's exactly it. You go from store to store and you get discouraged over something like this. There is a strong possibility that you're just going to lose interest in it anyway. I know a lot of people will counter argue saying, oh, but it's bringing attention to the book and they'll reprint it. Well, it's going to take them at least a month to reprint this book. That attention's not going to be held there for that long. I This is the type of thing... At Kingdom, we would have somebody come in with their app on their phone that was telling them that Spawn's love child is making his first appearance in an issue this week. Yeah. Yeah, you remember, this sort of thing. It wouldn't happen, I mean, for every 50 customers, we might get one like this. And they'd want to buy the entire stack off the shelves. And we couldn't do that. We'd say, you know, typically we'd say, okay, look, we can sell you two, but we're not going any more than that. They'd get upset. Or they'd be shocked. Why wouldn't you just sell them all like it? And the reason being is because we would have people walk in off the streets that come in every Wednesday and expect to pick up these books off our shelves. Yeah. And those are the bread and butters, not the people that are running in to buy these books and slap them on eBay and doesn't care about the story, wouldn't know the, the artist or the writer if they fell on them. I'm not dissing collecting. Don't get me wrong. I think collecting is a wonderful thing. I think value, the value rising in comics is a wonderful thing. But I don't think a false market on these books does anything for anybody other than kill possible new readers coming into the comic book fan base. Mm -hmm. And that's my little rant on that. Do you have yeah. anything to add to it? No, nah, you about covered it all on my end. All right. Well, let's move right along to the books this week. What's good? What do you feel like starting off with? How about Le Event Leviathan, number three? Yeah, we can go to that one. Okay. Well, what's your take? They didn't really do too much in this issue. 
uh, it was mostly just a follow-up to them blaming everything on on Todd and then yeah. it being like, hey, it's issue three of, of a six or whatever issue thing. So, of course, not Jason. That's sort of all this issue amounted to mostly. Yeah, this was the, it's not Jason, but I can fill a book full of dialogue and think it's character development by Bendis. Yeah. My my notes on it, Bendis cannot write Batman dialogue to save his life. He does a great Damien. He does a good Green Arrow. But you look at the Batman in this book, you read his dialogue, you compare him to the Batman in Detective. You compare him to the Batman in White Knight. And, and this is just not, it just does not line up with me. Yeah. Also... I don't buy that Red Hood could get away from all of them. You had the question, you had Batman, you had Damien, and you had Green Arrow and Plastic Man in it. And I know Plastic Man is kind of a joke to a lot of people. Really, he's one of the most powerful individuals there, and there is a serious streak to him. If he had really, it seems to me like he really, if he really didn't want the Red Hood to get away, Jason Todd, he really would not have gotten away. This issue kind of made me care about the whole thing less. It, It didn't grab me. I'm more interested in the Lois Lane Russian espionage book than I am this as of issue number two. I'm a big fan of the question. I'm a big fan of both of the questions. I think the question in Leviathan is being underutilized. I could have almost called the last page of this book. That wasn't a surprise or anything. By the time you get to that point, you just know what's going to happen. So I'm I'm not really enjoying this book. I've gotten to the point that I, I don't really care who Leviathan is. Leviathan, it better be some big, it needs to be something big that makes sense. It should be like, oh, oh, oh God, I can't believe it's so-and-so, but it probably won't be. If you haven't been picking up Event Leviathan, then issue number three is no reason for you to start. Yeah. So that's where I stand on it right now. What's your call? I'm the same. So buy or die, if you haven't been reading the book up to now, it's kind of a die situation. By comparison... Detective 1009 by Tomasi. This starts a storyline involving Deadshot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, like, if this book's cover doesn't have anything to do with this comic. That's part of their, hey, it's villains year or whatever it is, tie-in thing. They want to they wanna really push that. That's, like we said earlier, that was the excuse that they were using on the Supergirl and Superman recall, but it, it looks more to do with the Legion of Superhero ads than anything else. There's that little bit of a backup that you can connect to the cover. And I mean, that backup was only like three, four pages. It wasn't that long at all. This was a really interesting take. You've got to see this issue, Batman's Batman in the first section of it, and you see him doing standard Batman things that we really don't see Batman doing that often anymore. Like what? Like it was really mundane Spider-Man things he was doing in the first part of the book. Yeah. When he's in the Batman costume, he was on patrol. There were no supervillains out, just common criminals and such. And he was leaving them trussed up with little notes saying what they did and they will confess. And then he goes home and for the rest of the book, he's Bruce Wayne. And Tomasi writes a wonderful Bruce Wayne. He does. He also writes a fantastic Alfred, too. <clears throat> Yeah, Bruce Wayne, Alfred, Fox, he really does bring the best of the characters out. And I also nominate this book for the runner-up line of the week. Not the line of the week, but the runner-up. When Bruce Wayne tells Lucius Fox he needs acting lessons ASAP and then follows it up with, call Clooney, he owes me. 
My favorite line of the week was when Alfred wakes up Bruce, throwing the curtains open, and Bruce goes, I'll kill you. Alfred just goes, I have it on good authority. Batman does not kill. kill. Yeah, I thought that was a good line, too. I forget what I nominated as line of the weeks, but I'm sure we'll get to it uh, soon here or a little bit later in the podcast. Both of those lines were really good runner ups, but there was one line and I forget where it was. We'll get to it. In my opinion, this is the best Batman in continuity going. You can read this book and compare it to the Batman in Leviathan or the Batman in the standard title Batman book. And just far and away, Tomasi has this down. Yeah. And the best thing about this book, you can just read this book by itself and that's it. Yeah. Just enjoy it. And go yep. forward. Yeah. All right. Moving right along. How about Punisher Kill Crew? Yeah, I've read that. It, it, that was a pretty fun book. I enjoyed it. You did? Every once in a while, they'll do they'll do sort of like monster stuff or something different with Punisher. And, and I sort of like this in sort of a, a goofy, fun type way. I went through it. I liked when the Punisher decided that, oh, well, can't save everyone, then immediately starts tossing grenades around. Yeah. That would be my criteria as well. Well, if we can't save everyone, I may as well just hit the grenades. <laughs> and then he fights the kite-eating tree from Charlie Brown. Yeah. It was just a bit much to me. I kept thinking, oh, this is utterly ridiculous. He seemed to try to talk like the Punisher in this. Dugan is writing it. It just doesn't jive with the rest of the Punisher books or what I know about the Punishers. If it was buy or die for me, I'd say this one's die. But you're saying buy it because it's fun and it's outrageous. Yeah. And, right. I, and I'm a big fan of the dumber Punisher stories, like Franken-Punisher and Space Punisher. Like, I, I like those stories, so this is sort of more of that. Okay, you see, that does turn me out. And for a character that I don't like, I certainly seem to have certain standards that he has to fall into yeah. for me to be on board with something. And this just did not. Him, Thor's, Thor's goats pulling his battle van. It was a bit too much for me. Yeah. This was a bit too over the top. And because we got so much going on, we'll just basically touch on Target Vader, Star Wars, Target Vader, number two by Robbie Thompson. The plot deepens, good intrigue. It's worth it, especially for Vader Star Wars fans. Yeah, it's a good book. The Marvel Star Wars stuff, the Vader stuff seems to be the, the cream of the crop on that. Yeah. This is more of that. It's just, and Vader's more of a supporting character in this than anything at the moment. But yeah, it's a very good book. I, I enjoy it. Okay, and a quick touch on Amazing Spider-Man number 27. I think we've said it all in about previous issues. Look, it's a, it's Amazing Spider-Man. It's being written well. It's still funny. It deals with the all-female sinister syndicate. There's a lot of in-jokes and out-jokes in it. It's just a fun Amazing Spider-Man book. Yeah. That one came out. I do want to say this about Fantastic Four number 13, which also came out this week. This is the Hulk versus Thing continuation. And because of the storyline in Immortal Hulk, and it's very clearly the Immortal Hulk that shows up in this, I was against this because it looked like it was detrimental to that storyline, which is a once-in-a-lifetime storyline for the Hulk. Yeah. I just didn't care for it because the puppet master had taken over Hulk and forces Hulk to go fight the thing. But overall, now that we're done with it, it was good two issues. And it had a very satisfying ending that I believe really did tie it in and was much more in keeping with the characterization of Hulk in his own book currently. Well, I guess I'll have to read it then because I I skipped over that one this week. Oh, you skipped over it? It's the standard thing versus Hulk. And once that's resolved, Hulk decides to take a little side trip. When he does, it was every bit Ewing's immortal Hulk. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was almost, but not quite disturbing. Not something you expect to see in an issue of Fantastic Four. Did you read Doctor Strange number 17, the end of the Magic Galactus situation? No, I did not read that. Basically, the reboot button was hit like it had to be. And in an interesting way, I will say this. There's a Mephisto twist to the whole thing. And I really do get the sense that it, this is the stories told by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. I really do get the sense, given Mephisto's appearance in this and the price Mephisto exacts from somebody, that this is somehow connected to One More Day from 10 years ago. Spider-Man One More Day, very similar to it. And that's by design. It's clearly by design. And I wouldn't say sacrifice, you know, don't sacrifice to buy this book. If you're already reading it and a Doctor Strange fan, yeah, go ahead and get it. This is one of these stories that's interesting, but largely I think is going to be forgotten in a few months unless they come back to the Mephisto situation, which I really get the feeling that they are somehow. And I don't just mean in Doctor Strange, I mean the overall Marvel universe. I always assumed that the reason Slot never hit the Mephisto thing yeah. was that someone above his above him whether it was yeah. Casada himself or somebody else, yeah. they just would not let him mess with it. This comes very close to it. You can't read this and not have echoes back to Amazing Spider-Man one more day. You you just can't. This is a very similar situation. There's a very similar deal cut. There's something up there. I think they're getting ready to expand on Mephisto in this area. And I, I'm interested in seeing it. I really am because to this day, we're not exactly sure what Mary Jane Watson said to Mephisto at the end of One More Day. We got our suspicions, but we don't know for a fact. I'd be okay with this, but it'd, it'd take careful planning. Well, did you read any of the Silver Surfer stuff that came out this week? I read Black Number 3. Oh, what'd you think? An absolutely amazing comic from first panel to the last. I really, I'm, I'm complete agreement with you on that. An outstanding cosmic surreality all the way through it. And and Dave Stewart does the coloring. And yeah. He, and he also did the coloring for Darwin Cook's New Frontier and some other top tier books. Yeah. He, he has to be the best colorist working today, period. I don't doubt that. And Trad Moore's art, Trad Moore is a force of nature with his art. He really is. And it's, it's, this is really a book where like you have three people that are at the top of their field. They all come together and they're on, they're on the same page and sync up and everything. They're all in rhythm. It really is. This book is just an outstanding piece all the way around. I don't think it's necessarily for everyone, but diehard comic fans with a craving toward visualizing the impossible, this is definitely something for us. Yeah. I really do. I would love to see Trad Moore work with Grant Morrison on Green Lantern. I know that's not going to happen. You can't say enough good things about his art. It's also a million or so, few million year old tie-in or prequel to Absolute Carnage. Would you give it that? Yeah. R roughly <laughs> that sort of be, seems to be what it is to an extent. I don't think they're necessarily going to tag it as an Absolute Carnage tie-in, but this deals with the symbiote god and just pick it up. Get the get the first three issues, read through it. It's like I said, it's cosmic craziness and Tradmore really gets the visuals right. Just outstanding. Again, I don't necessarily want to see Tradmore on Avengers or X-Men, 
Keep him on the Silver Surfer books. More of the cosmic stuff. More of the out there stuff. Put him on Doctor Strange. Yeah, We've he'd said be that great with Doctor Strange. Yeah, I think he'd be outstanding on it. Also, Silver Surfer Prodigal's Son came out. It's a one-shot. This is a follow-up to Fantastic Four Prodigal Son. It's written by Peter David. Note to Marvel, let Peter David do whatever he wants. The book was fun and engaging, and while I firmly believe that neither Marvel nor DC need any more new alien races to contend with, I do like the alien race that Peter David has created this for the main character, the prodigal son. He's engaging. He's an enjoyable character. He's reminiscent of Submariner, but more of an adult Submariner. Yeah, it's it's not like his ego gets tread on too terribly easily. It's space fantasy superhero fun all the way around. I think it's worth the money, especially because it's a one-shot. You can pick this one up, read it by itself, but it works even better when you pick the Fantastic Four one up and read it as well. All right. Absolute Carnage. The absolute, uh, <laughs> the absolute pillaging of our wallets starts. <laughs> yeah, we had what I think two two books this week. Uh, I only read Separation Anxiety. Okay, the Separation Chapman. Anxiety and Scream Number One. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I did not read Scream Number One. Scream but... Number One's pretty good. Pretty good. Like if you're a fan of the old symbiote stuff, like Scream and the rest of them, like yeah. you'll you'll probably enjoy this book. It seems like this will be a, this book tie-ins more to the main book, especially more than Separation Anxiety. Scream number one was good. I enjoyed that. God, I really didn't like Separation Anxiety. You didn't? No. What didn't you like about it? It's just edgelord garbage to me. I'm not sure that it's a must-have for the Absolute Carnage overall storyline. If you're just kind of a casual fan of the symbiotes, or if you're mainly following Absolute Carnage to see what happens with Venom and Spider-Man and you're not into the symbiotes, I think it's a pass. But it's definitely a must-have for the Venom Carnage symbiote fans and completists. I thought it worked great as like a horror. It was very reminiscent of the old horror stories, especially the family angle for me. Yeah. And while I'm telling you, don't necessarily run out to buy it because when this shows up or when the events in this book show up in absolute carnage, it's not going to be like, how did I miss this? If you want something that's kind of a horror book about the symbiotes, pick it up. Otherwise, I'd just kind of pass over it. Me personally, it would have been a pass, but I did want to give due to Clay Chapman and artist Brian Level because it read and it felt like one of the older Journey into Horrors or House of Horror comics. Yeah, and this, and this is just a one-shot. This this family may show up elsewhere, but this is just a little throwaway thing. Yeah. All right, moving on. Let's skip away from the big two for a couple of minutes here and talk a little bit about what we got from Image this week. White Trees, number one, by Chip Zdarsky and with Chris Anka doing the art in it. What's the full name of that book? White Trees, A Black Sand Tale. It didn't get across to me until the end of it that this is, that Chip is trying to create an entire realm here, and this is the first step into it. Yeah, I did not like this book. My view on this book is that this book and about a hundred other books all come from the same book, and that's Saga. Oh, that, that you know, saga, you don't get this book and you don't get a whole bunch of other books either. When I was reading this book, I kept feeling around for it, but my mind kept going to places like Lord of the Rings, 
Lord of the Rings or Labyrinth. And I kept Well, thinking, there's a reason for that. My view on that is ever since Saga, all these other writers and artists want to do their Saga. It's been going on for several years now to the point where everything just reads like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Okay, that's a good it, point. In this in this book, this issue one, this issue one book has come out every week for the last year. That's just another with a different good point. With, a, with another name on the title, and it'll come out every week for the next year with just a different name on the title. Well, look, you opened up a window there with me. when, you, As soon as you said Saga, I thought, that's what I was looking for. When I yeah. kept saying, what? This reminds me. What? It's, it's this, the same yeah. style writing, the art, even like the, the way they do the coloring and character designs. This book and a thousand others are just some other version of Saga. Yeah, when I kept thinking Lord of the Rings, I kept thinking, no, it's just, it's not, it's a similar realm, but it's not quite what we're looking for here. It's a sword and sorcery story with lots of demon fairy penises. You're right. We see this book every month in one yep. form or another. The most interesting thing I found about it was the main character. I think his name was Krylos, Sir Krylos. To Some, me, something like that. Yeah, Sir Krylos was interesting, but the rest, it was just decoration and incidental around him. I can tell that Chip Zdarsky put considerable thought into this. He's trying to create a new a new realm. He's having a great year because most all of his books that I'm reading and have read, boy, he's hitting. There's not a bad one among them. But while I like his other work better, this is not necessarily a miss. I think it can find an audience. Yeah, like it's not a bad book. Writing is good, and depending on how much penis you want in a comic look i'm making story wise and art like production quality wise it's it's very very good it's just that i've I've already read this comic four yeah. dozen times yeah i'm in complete agreement with you there's variations of this out there we're getting them basically once a month and i also miss the days when creators of other worlds and other realms would not necessarily default to standard known curse words like the F word, and they'd make new ones up. Yeah, I've always sort of liked that too, to some extent. I like when Conan says, by Crom. Yeah. You know, I, I like that color. I like that flavor. The line art is very nice, but again, as you said before, this seems to have that same Image Comics trademark bland coloration that dampens the appeal, just like DC's Event Leviathan does. Yeah. You're not drawing me into the story with that. It's kind of like my eyes are bouncing off of it, and I have to look past that to get to the actual artwork. Like I said, Krylos is interesting enough. I might read the next issue, but is it worth your money? From my opinion, it depends on how you feel about Demon Fairy Peni. If you like Saga, it's not Saga. <laughs> yeah. It, it wants to be. Kind of Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones saga genre-esque light. This is Chip Zdarsky's take on this, but it's not necessarily anything we have not seen before and that we're not going to see again in the next few weeks under a different name with a slightly different point of view to it. Yeah. Overall, I'd say probably pass. You know, buy or die, probably die. I just give it a pass. Just give it a pass. Okay, but then let's go to another one that I think we both still agree on. Second Coming, issue number two. That's still a good book. Issue one, I think, is the better issue of the two. Yeah. Issue one also had the fact that I didn't expect that out of this book. Whereas issue two, you sort of know what you're getting, but it's but still very, very good. Yeah, issue number one is definitely a stronger book than this one is. Mark Russell still has a really unique way of getting his view of Christian philosophy across. I still recommend the book. It's still got a good message to it. He's telling a good story. I felt the art was off a little bit in this issue. Heaven 
kind of reminded me, you remember the interconnection point between the realities from Astro City? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what heaven looked like to me when God took the Superman character Sunstar to heaven. And also, it was kind of scary because I don't think Mark Russell planned this at all. But to any of you that's watched Amazon The Boys, there is a line in it that Homelander keeps delivering that starts off as funny but becomes disturbing. And the Superman character in this named Sunstar, he uses the same line. And I really don't think this was planned by Mark Russell, but the line is, no, 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 you're the real hero. Yeah, I haven't watched The Boys yet, so... Uh, well, you got to watch The Boys so yeah, we can talk about that. I really, yeah, know, but it I really was, need to watch it. If, you're, if you have watched The Boys and you're listening to this, you know exactly what I mean, how disturbing that line gets. I'm still in for the ride on this. Like I said, I thought the art was a little off. And issue number one, both Albert and I, we both agree that issue number one was stronger. But this is still a good book. Yep. And the letters page in back is well worth it as well. Take your time to read that. Yep, this is a buy. Yeah, yeah this is a buy. Easily a buy. Okay. All right. Now, what we started talking about, but we didn't go into great detail about, is what I honest to goodness think is the book of the week, if not the book of the month, and possibly the book of the last six months. Once in Future from Boom by Kieran Gillen and art by Dan Mora. Yep. I'm big into Arthurian lore, so I'm kind of biased. But even if I wasn't, the book is still outstanding. The dialogue was tremendously well done. The art was great. The writing was wonderful. My main problem with it is I'm having to wait another month for uh, another issue to it. And I also like how they're doing things like they haven't found the sword, but they found the scabbard. And the scabbard is just as powerful as the sword to an extent. Oh, the scabbard's always, in Arthurian legend, the scabbard has always had those abilities and really did get overlooked. The absence of the scabbard is the downfall of King Arthur. Yeah. If you're like me and you're a huge fan of King Arthur, or if you've just seen Excalibur or the Sword in the Stone animated movie, read this book. Yeah, even if you a, haven't a, seen it. It's a great book. Yeah, you don't need you don't even need those or to have ever heard of King Arthur to enjoy this book. It is that well done. Like I, I keep saying this, it's one of the best first issues I've read in mm-hmm. a long while. It's a super solid issue. Yeah. This one kicks butt. Issue number one, unfortunately, because of speculators and stores under ordering, it's going for some considerable money on eBay. This a this a boom comic? Yeah, it is a boom comic. That's yeah, maybe, why. Maybe they'll reprint it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm certain they're they're going to have to reprint it. They're going to have to reprint number one. Yeah. Keep your eyes out for the reprint of it, or if you're lucky enough, browse everywhere that sells comics to pick this issue up. Highly recommend it. This is a good comic. This is why you read comics. So definitely recommend that. Now, as per our usual lineup, (laughs) we come down to the X-Men part of the evening. Powers of 10, Powers of X, number two. Yeah, this one covers... What 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 they cover in this one? Oh, dear Lord. Well, first off, you, did you catch that Magneto used the phrase Operation Paperclip? Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Okay. They basically, by him doing that, Marvel just basically said that Hydra are Nazis. Operation Paperclip is the name of the co-op that America used to shuttle in the Nazi scientists like Von Braun after World War II, the Nazi scientists that America could use to benefit in rocket research and weapons research during the Cold War, and it was called Operation Paperclip. Magneto is point blank referring to Hydra with the term Operation Paperclip. Yeah. I mean, the kid gloves are off. Hydra's Nazis. 
I think by Hickman doing this, we can look for a much nastier Hydra coming down the river here, not just with the X-Men, but in all of Marvel continuity. Yeah. They brought in Zorn. Yeah, they brought him up into the far future. So whichever version of, I don't remember if he was part of the, the Sinister group or not on that end. Well, he's he's just there. He was not the initial Sinister group we saw in Powers of X number one. He's just there now. I mean, the Madman Hickman has brought Zorn into this. He also has excellent repurposing of the phalanx technarchy relationship. Yeah, that was that was real. I really, really, really like that how he how he used those two together. He's taking old X lore and he's breathing brand new life into it. He's creating X mythology right in front of us. What he does does not take away from anything valuable that came before in the X-Men comics. All it's doing is amplifying it and bringing out the best in it. He's looking at a much bigger picture for all of it. He really is. I'm getting the feeling with each passing issue, this is rivaling Immortal Hulk so far as defining a comic book title, defining comic book characters. These two books from Marvel just are really knocking it out of the park. Powers of X, House of X, this is definitely a must-buy. If you're not an X-Men fan, this is a good time to become one. Yeah, and, and Powers of X is more of a more of a Nimrod book than anyone else, I suppose. The the weight that the name Nimrod carries with the X-Men. Yeah. I mean, you can just feel it. It's palatable. It comes across really well. I mean, you really do get the sense of dread and seriousness when Xavier name drops Nimrod. Yeah, because they're talking about that big Sentinel satellite thing that makes master molds. Well, yeah, that Hydra has been brought on board with S.H.I.E.L.D. and everybody else to defend against the mutants. Yeah, there seems to be a, a, like a, they give them a specific name. They did, and I can't remember it. But there's a group of scientists that hate mutants, and they're from yeah. all these different organizations. And they've created this giant thing in, in outer space that creates master molds. And they're yeah, looking orbiting at it. the sun. Yeah, and they're looking at it. I think it's a Charles Mag- Magneto and Cyclops. Yep. They're like, Jesus, this is where Nimrod comes from. We have to stop this. This is the beginning of Nimrod. Yeah. They, they see it coming down the pike. Wolverine has some great lines, and he's mostly just talking to himself. Yeah. I just love this book. As an X-Men fan, I just love this book. So, you know, definitely a must-buy. All right, Albert, we got quite a few questions in here. So I'm going to toss the first one completely in your lap here. Miss Eva asks, why don't you guys talk more about the Arrowverse TV shows, Flash, Supergirl, so on and so forth. Well, outside of the the crossover they do every year, I really don't watch it anymore. Why is that? And I'm asking you because you're more the DC guy than I. I don't know. I do a lot of TV shows like that. Yeah. Take, let's take a a, a a show like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones was a straight narrative thing from beginning to end. Yeah. Every episode led into the next. Every season led into the next. And these superhero shows, I end up liking them, but they just sort of repeat themselves over and over, and I just drop out. Well, yeah, I mean, for the first three seasons, didn't it revolve around Flash changing reality by running too fast? Yeah, and there was a lot of different bad versions of Flash and Speedsters, and it just sort of, I like the characters, I like the actors, but the stories themselves were just so repetitive, I just sort of got out of it. With the exception of Arrow, I was on board with Flash and Supergirl for the first two, uh, the first three to four seasons of Flash. But yeah, I just kind of fell out of it as well. It does get a little bit of repetition going. Love the actors. 
the guy playing Flash is outstanding. Yeah. The young woman playing Supergirl, wonderful. I even like the Superman and Supergirl. But other than the crossovers, yeah, I do kind of lose interest in it. Let me ask this. The Boys on Amazon has eight episodes to it that you can binge watch. Stranger Things on Netflix. What does it have? Ten episodes a season? Somewhere. Some, maybe yeah. maybe 12 or something. But. Something like that. Don't you think that would be a better format for Flash and Supergirl and Arrow or any of these upcoming future DC shows if they limited themselves to just like eight to 10 episodes instead of having to fill the CW requirement of somewhere in the area of 24 shows a do season. they still do 24 seasons? I don't know how many they do a I season. I don't think they do that anymore. Hold on. Season three of The Flash has 23 episodes. That seems to be pretty much the standard season for Flash and Arrow. Uh, we do know this. I, I did hear a rumor that Smallville, Tom Willing, is probably in the crossover, and they're kind of keeping that under wraps. Yeah. The Crisis on Infinite Earths. Tom Willing? I'm sure Eva. And, I didn't like Smallville. I'm sure Eva and Tim Bryant. Look, I understood the purpose of Smallville. I understand the purpose of these shows, and I'm all for it. It brings more fans into the realm. It keeps this stuff alive, but there's no reason they can't be of a higher quality. The reason we haven't talked about it, Eva, is simply because there's not been that much to talk about lately. When the crisis comes up, I'm sure you'll hear some chatter on it. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to have a local DC Comics expert, Tim Bryan, sit in with us and do a chat about not just DC Comics, but the DC Comics properties as well. Overall, we do like them but they are getting repetitive and I think we could do with fewer episodes a season and a little bit more focus to them. Yeah. Is that where you are on it? Yep. Let's see. We've also got Jamie has written in and Hey guys, I wanted to know if there's one story or story arc that has had the most impact on you. Was there a particular issue that made you emotional or had a lot of meaning to you? Yeah, I got, I actually got three. I'll let you go. The one I'm going to start off with is God Loves, Man Kills, X-Men. That's a good one. Yeah, I read that at the beginning of my teen years, and that really did have an impact on me. It helped shape the way I looked at things for the time, and it still is. It's a very powerful story, and it's written by Chris Claremont and... I, I want to say Brent Anderson does the art in it. It's a standalone. It's a one-shot. It's the X-Men and Magneto, and they're dealing with Reverend Stryker, not General Stryker, but Reverend Stryker. That was, that was very impactful to me. The second one that solicits the most emotion from me, or a great deal of emotion from me, is the Superman issue, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Basically, that came out at a time where the dawn of the rough-and-tumble, R-rated, kill-you-as-soon-as-look-at-you heroes like The Authority and later down the line, The Boys were becoming more prevalent and more popular. And the question was being seriously asked, how could Superman possibly compare to these characters? Yeah, you and know? in this issue, he, I mean, he's pretty much... He's pretty much fighting the authority. Yeah, it's direct rip of the authority, and it's meant to be the uh, direct rip of the authority. He illustrates to you exactly how scary Superman can be and why he's not. Yeah. And the speech he gives at the end is just truly, it, it's Superman. It justifies Superman. Anybody that says something like, I hate Superman, I don't understand why Superman's still around. I don't 
you know, he's Superman. He can do anything. What use is he? You need to read that one issue. Superman, what's so funny about truth, justice, and the American way? This lays it out for you. This is as valid now, probably more so now, than it was then. The first two are X-Men, God Loves, Man Kills. Superman, what's so funny about truth, justice, and the American way? And the third one, (laughs) I'm a wuss. Here we go. The third one is the issue right before Dan Didio just wiped himself with the DC universe. And I think it was an action comics issue. And I believe it was written by Mark Wade. So Albert, if I'm wrong, correct me, but it was the last pre new 52 crypto issue. Superman's dog. Basically in this issue, you follow crypto around trying to get Superboy's attention trying to get Superman's attention and all of their lives are so busy that they don't pay crypto any attention whatsoever. He has a manhole cover from Smallville that Superman uses as a Frisbee for him to go fetch. And he's carrying his manhole cover around and this, this poor dog, it's even sadder because you knew that all of continuity was about to be rebooted and you weren't going to get him anymore. And at the end of it, crypto leaves earth carrying his manhole cover and he finds an asteroid that's kind of shaped and got a little bit of a cave to it. And he lays down in it and he puts his paws over his manhole cover and he just lays his head down. That one just kills me every single time. Yeah, I'm a wuss. I mean, there's no big secret. I am. I am a tremendous wuss. So, all right, Albert, take it away. What's your, your I got three. Okay. First one's a single issue. And I've probably brought it up on this podcast before. Yeah. It's one of my favorite comics. It's Astro City One Half. It was a back when Wizard Magazine was around and they'd do them half issues. It was it was like it was one of those. Yeah. And the name of the issue is uh, called The Nearness of You. Oh. And it's, and it's yeah. just a, a a wonderful little story. It's not a it's Astro City was this big crazy ode to superhero comics. Yeah, almost like an ode to like 1970s superhero comics to, yeah. I guess to an extent, Silver Age stuff like that. Very we'll legion we'll of superheroes. Let we'll go back and say it's yeah, it's very Kurt Busiek's ode to everything he's ever loved in comic books for the most part. And this is just a little one issue story that just deals with a guy and how when all these big superhero battles go down, uh, how they affect the people. And this is a story of that without giving too much away. It's one of the best written comics. And it's just a simple one-issue story, and it's just just wonderful. The next one is a full run of a book, and that is Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Ah, uh, yep. Grant Morrison's Animal Man, from issue one till the last issue, is one of the most solid, best comic book runs ever written. I'm mostly focusing focusing on the ending, because Animal Man at that point is just, as we get farther into the book, his life just his his whole life just comes apart, and and you know these horrible things happen to him, and he and he fixes it, or tries to fix it through time travel, and then when you get to the last few pages, it's just this wonderful happy ending that he just sort of pulls out of thin air because it's comic books, and why not? Uh, he did an outstanding job of that. That's always going to be in my top twenty comic book stories yeah. of all time. The and the story. other one is another Morrison book, We Three. 
Ooh, yeah. The, the which is you know the story about the three little the, the cat, the rabbit, and the dog that were pretty much government weapons. Yeah, they were pretty much Robocop. Gave all these enhancements and everything, and they were going to kill him. And so the the woman that worked on him and loved him and cared for him, uh, she lets him go. And it's just sort of this ultra violent. If you've ever seen the movie Homeward Bound or the any or any of the other million movies or books where animals get lost and try to find their home, it's just that with ultraviolence, but it's still this very nice comic about animals that sort of makes you tear up at the end. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Those are three really good calls. Next question is from Cornelius. Cornelius writes, after last episode, I hadn't really considered that Kingdom had been around for 16 years. My question is... What was the first comic book store that you shopped at regularly? You go first. I live in Moyer. live there now, which is about 30-something miles north of Birmingham. So, like, I mean, I didn't have any comic stores. Uh, we did have one, we'll just say it was a baseball car shop. We'll just call it a specialty shop called Doubleheader yeah. in Gardendale. And they sold comic books. And I guess you could say that was the first specialty shop I ever bought books from. At the time, when I was growing up, it was Lion and Unicorn. But it's, when I say that, the vast majority of everybody out there that's ever heard of Lion Unicorn is going to have, there's something that's going to pop into their mind, and that's not it. I first started shopping at Allen Hammock's Lion and Unicorn, which was Southside across the street from where Jim and Nick's is at the center of Southside now, just down from the fountain. And Alan Hammock, he's a brilliant, I believe he's a biologist. He's he's just a brilliant all-around guy. He wrote several of the early Dungeons and Dragons with and for Gary Gygax. And Lion Unicorn then was predominantly a unique little bookstore that just happened to have some comics and would put comics aside for you. And it was two stories. And there's several times I mostly dealt with his wife at the time. I believe her name was Susan. They were very nice, but Alan was always working or doing something. Uh, look, if you see an individual walking around UAB dressed like the fourth Doctor Who, that's Alan Hammock. And like I said before, he's a brilliant individual. His line unicorn was where I had the first pull list. I'm going to have to mention this, and I don't know if Albert had ever met him or not, because there's a lot of people out there or people that are listening that are local here in Alabama. What about Curious George? Yes, on occasion, I would go to Curious George. Uh, But I'm going to tell you straight up, Curious George, when I was a kid, Curious George scared the hell out of me. And as an adult, Curious George still scares the hell out of me. (laughs) He came into kingdom a few times and, uh, he, he's, he's a very nice guy, but he's all over the place. And he, he's not necessarily when you're a kid at that time, he, he was not the right match, but, uh, yeah, I did shop at Curious George's as well. Rounding it out tonight. We've got Keith. Keith asks, what do you guys think of vital aspects of Punisher's traditional origin being cast in doubt? using his wife as a human shield being hinted at in Savage Avengers number four. Do you think this is baby steps to Albert's theory of Frank Castle being shelved by Marvel? Well, Albert, why don't you answer it? (laughs) I just took it as one of those things where a villain makes a hero or doubt, doubt themselves. Well, um, I guess you can call Punisher a hero to some extent. The end of it was, well, no, that's not how this really happened. It's the other way. Ever since Ennis did Marvel Max, they base Punisher on Ennis on how he set him up in Marvel Max. And that, and the using the, the wife as a shield, 
is not something that that character would do as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying he won't do it because Marvel can just say, hey, you did it, and there we go. We're stuck with it one way or another. I just think for the sake of Savage Avengers, it's just something. The villain just did it to mess with Punisher, the, the sort of get him off his back for so he can for just a few moments. Yeah, that was created. In my opinion, that particular line, that's delivered by Cullen Gath. I've said this before. I'm not a huge Conan fan, but I know who Cullen Gath is, and he is a top-notch bad guy. And evil lies. And I point blank think that he said the right combination of words to take the Punisher, to take Frank Castle out of this battle temporarily. Yeah. And I I think that's all there is to it. Uh, It's Dugan that's writing Savage Avengers. I I don't think this is necessarily, it necessarily plays into that overall Frank Castle, the Punisher symbol being used on the police cars thing. I think this was just a story element to put some doubt into the Punisher because by and large, the Punisher is not an individual that doubts himself, but there's a right combination of words that can just utterly destroy anybody in reality and in fiction. And Cullen Gath just knew what to say to him at that time. Yeah. So I think it was more of a plot point than anything else. That seems to round everything out tonight. Albert, you got anything you want to add? No, I think that's about it for this week. Okay, I am almost done editing our in-game special with Ali Marceau, and that should be up sometime this weekend, so please look for that. If you've got any questions, we comments, anything, we love hearing from you. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook as Kingdom Comics. You can also email Kingdom Comics at kingdomcomics at gmail.com. I check them both regularly five, six, seven times a day. So questions, comments, anything along those lines, anything you'd like to have us cover, go right ahead. We've got a few more specials coming up after the in-game special. Look, if you're enjoying it, please continue to share. Our numbers get better every week, and we cannot thank you enough for that. Please rate us five stars. That does help. That does matter. The response to this has been great, and we want to keep doing them for as long as y'all want to keep listening to us. Albert, until next week. See you then. All right.